Hi, friends, it's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 31 years. Big day yesterday in surgery. Began with a shoulder surgery on a rotator cuff. Then I did two big hip replacements, followed by two big knee replacements, really a resurfacing of the joint. We no longer do replacements like 31 years ago. It's called minimally invasive because you don't cut the muscles. And then I ended with an arthroscopy of the knee. It was a full day, 10 hours in the operating room. But I made the biggest mistake at lunchtime in how I ate my lunch. Don't ever do this. Don't ever think a juicy pickle has enough juice in it that you don't need to drink something to eat your sandwich. I'll tell you more about it later, what a, what a disaster that was of dehydration later in the day. I'm so excited for today. My guest at 815 is Coach Brett Simpson. He's the coach of our USA Olympic surf team. They're going to compete in Japan next summer. It's supposed to be this summer, but because of coronavirus, they put it off till next summer. The reason I'm having him on is because Brett's genius idea, and a shout out to Becky for making this happen, but Brett's genius idea as a coach is to get the team to learn to surf in the small waves seen in Japan. It's an area of Japan called Chiba. But these are tiny waves, similar to Manhattan Beach, for example, beach breaks. He's taking the team, the USA team, to a wave pool in Waco, Texas. Can you imagine our surf team is practicing for the Olympics where there is no ocean? He's taking them to Texas, but he's a genius. He's doing this because he realizes in order to win gold medals, you gotta master the type of wave in Japan that most of our surfers have not seen. You may be a great Hawaiian big wave surfer or Kelly Slater from Florida, But Japanese waves are a whole nother deal. And it made me think all week about the worlds I love of art, of surgery, and of sports. Where do we see success in these fields due to mastering the surface? Well, in art and music, dancers leap and land on the stage surface. It's been that way for as long as man has danced. But in 1983, Michael Jackson's mastery of the stage's surface going sideways revolutionized the art and music world forever. It was the Motown 25th year anniversary show. And he sang Billie Jean. And as you all remember, for the first time, 
he moonwalked. And in a minute, you're going to hear how and who taught him how to master the dance floor surface to go sideways. What a story this is going to be. In a minute, you'll hear it. And in sports, one of the greatest golfers of all time. He's really my favorite golfer of all time. He's 80 years old now, and it's Lee Trevino. He's the only guy who could beat Jack Nicholas in his prime repeatedly. And the reason Lee Trevino was so good was his mastery of the surface he played on. The reason he was so skillful is because of the poverty he grew up in in Texas. Lee Trevino grew up next to a cemetery and a golf course. He quit school in the eighth grade and taught himself how to play golf. They always say he has an unconventional swing. That's because nobody ever taught him how to play. He taught himself. But it was his mastery of learning how to hit the golf ball on Texas clay. There's no grass. There's no sand. There's no beautiful fairway. He's hitting it on hard pack. It's like taking the golf ball and taking it on an asphalt road and trying to learn how to hit it elegantly. He mastered the surface. Wait till you hear these sound bites. Fascinating. And in surgery, my teacher, the great Dr. Larry Dorr, he was the first orthopedic surgeon to teach us that you want success with your hip surgery. You better pay attention to not just the prosthesis. You better pay attention to the unique type of bone each patient presents to you with, because that will change your idea of how big a prosthesis, how wide a prosthesis, how long a prosthesis you better use. Because if the bone is very osteoporotic, weakened bone, not a lot of calcium or mineral in it, you better use a different one. Dr. Larry Dore, my teacher, when I was at Curl and Job in 1988, he mastered the surface we were working on when we put implants in hips, knees, and shoulders. A big shout out to one of my favorite orthopedic surgeons, Larry Dore. Clapper Vision, we're going to talk about Von Miller, the star defensive player for the Denver Broncos, one of the best defensive linemen in football. Well, he's going to be out for a while and maybe even the whole season because he dislocated the perineal tendon in his ankle. What exactly is the perineal tendon? What does it do? And what does dislocating it mean? The clapper vision is going to be, imagine you have a pair of pants, we all have them, with belt loops. What if you were sleepy in the morning and you didn't realize when you were putting your pants on, you didn't put the belt through the loops of your pants. You just put it on the outside of your pants. Trust me, your pants are going to dislocate. They're going to fall down wow. if you think you've got a belt and it's not through the loop. That's exactly what the retinaculum is in your ankle. It's a belt loop that keeps the belt, that keeps the tendon right next to the fibula bone. And it's, it, essentially, the surgery he had yesterday was to re-sew the belt loop so it could capture the belt, the perineal tendon, the very important tendon that lets you evert your foot. When you sprain your ankle, you don't just tear ligaments, 
You could, you could also tear the retinaculum that keeps that tendon in place. You could rip the belt loop so the belt essentially runs free and doesn't hold up your pants. There's a clap revision of Von Miller. We'll have the clinic open a little bit later. The number's 877-710-ESPN. We'll get into more clap revision. But right now, oh, I can't wait for you to hear this. Mastering the surface. Brett Simpson's doing it with our USA surfing team in Waco, Texas, learning what the Japanese wave is like so we can master that wave for the Olympics. But in the art and music world, it was 1983. Steve Paulette, let's go to number one. In 1983, as Michael Jackson flew high on the success of Thriller, 47 million Americans tuned in to see his first ever on-stage solo performance of Billie Jean at a concert celebrating 25 years of Motown. Now his popularity was about to go into orbit. And now you're going to hear his brother, Jermaine Jackson, who is offstage, take us literally behind the curtain of how mastering the surface took place in an instant in the art and music world. Number two. Michael didn't know what he was going to do on Billie Jean. And everything that you saw him do, he made it up on the spot. Mm. And it was just unbelievable. And I was backstage doing his performance of Billie Jean with Smokey and the Temptations and the Four Tops and Gladys and everybody. They were just in awe. Everybody who was anybody from Motown was there. Listen to Smokey Robinson talk about moonwalking and how Michael Jackson mastering the surface in dance changed the world that night. Number three. Every person who had ever had anything to do with Motown showed up that night. Everybody. When he performed Billie Jean, that was it. <laughs> I mean, the only thing to do after that was the finale. <laughs> I probably remember that moment to the day I died. The place was full of, you know, ex-Motown stars, and they just went balmy when he did that backwards walk. I mean, it was just a magical moment in time. This is one of the executives of Motown, Suzanne DePass, talking about how significant that mastery of the surface, that moonwalk was. But I'm going to teach you a little bit later. Michael Jackson was taught that dance by a man named Jeffrey Daniels. But first, let's listen to Suzanne DePass from Motown, number four. It became the seminal moment of his television career. That night, he crossed over into a whole new audience. He became the biggest star ever. Let's listen to his sister, Latoya Jackson. She's gonna give us the clue of who taught Michael Jackson how to backslide, how to go sideways on the dance floor like nobody else. LaToya Jackson talking about the ultimate dance teacher, Jeffrey Daniels, number five. The moonwalk was a dance that the kids were doing on the streets and Michael came along later and he had a guy by the name of Jeffrey Daniels to teach him to do the moonwalk. And Jeffrey taught him to do the moonwalk and he was good at it. And when he did it, everybody saw it and just thought this was the most wonderful thing they had ever seen, not really knowing it was a dance that was already out there. 
Jeffrey Daniels now, you're going to hear from him, the master, talking about the illusion. Make your eyes see one thing, but your brain tells you it's something else. This is Jeffrey Daniels. Love this guy. Number six. The backslide is actually supposed to be like um, if you were to be walking forward and suddenly you're on an escalator. And as you're walking forward, this escalator is now pulling you backwards as you're continuing to walk forward. That's the illusion of the backslide. And the moonwalk is that you're actually walking, but the ground is pulling you back. And if you can do it with that illusion, then you're doing it more or less looking like you're pulling yourself back, like your legs are tugging you back. It's not supposed to look that way. Michael Jackson was smart enough to recognize it's not going to be as valuable to call this move a backslide. But if you call it a moonwalk, which, by the way, is the name of a different dance step. But he fell in love with that word moonwalk because he was from outer space. Ah, oh, I just love it. Number seven. Michael called it the moonwalk, which actually the moonwalk is another dance. The moonwalk is actually a dance that we do that makes it look like you're on the moon and it's less gravity than you would have on Earth. Michael somehow called the backslide the moonwalk. And commercially, I think, maybe it, it, it worked. <laughs> you think? <laughs> and here, number eight, Jeffrey Daniels. Michael is funky. He's James Brown type of funky. And he dances inside the music. dancing with the electric boogaloos and we're doing body popping it was never one two three four five six seven it was just pow bang we didn't count we just went by sound effects and we danced inside the music with the beat and that's and that's how it was and that's how michael dances when you master the surface whether it's the waves in japan whether it's lee trevino as a golfer or whether it's Michael Jackson, you have to dance inside the music. That's the secret. And finally, number nine. Michael is a workaholic. He, does it, he never goes, okay, I'm tired, let's go. Okay, let's quit. That's how determined he is, and I guess that's why he became the greatest entertainer in the world. I remember I saw him in Japan during the history tour. I mean, he shot up from the bottom of the stage and landed on the stage and just stood there. And people are crying and screaming and he hasn't even moved yet. He hmm. hasn't even moved and they're crying and screaming. I know someone who was crying and screaming, Gene Crawford. He went to see Michael Jackson with his wife and that's how he made you feel. He was seeing something special when you saw him moonwalk. Fantastic. Dancing inside the music. I love that. Making an illusion. Essentially becoming at one with the surface. In the world of sports, you got to hear this story. The great Lee Trevino, a man who taught himself how to play the golf, the world of golf, could beat Jack Nicklaus in his prime. And in the 1968 U.S. Open, he did that and launched his career. How did he get to learn how to master that surface? Coming up next, I'm gonna explain. You don't wanna miss it. The life and story 
of the great Lee Trevino. And as we all should master the surface we work on. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Maganda Umaga. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Umi ihi bang paciente mo. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. John Denver. Mastering the Rocky Mountains, the undulating surface of the earth. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So excited to have you each and every Saturday. I'm tired. It was a big day yesterday, but I could not wait to wake up to be with you. And thanks for telling all your friends. Such a pleasure. And don't forget, we got to talk about some food. Mastering the surface. For me... There's nothing like mastering the surface of a donut. You want coconut on it, you want sprinkles, you want an icing. This past Sunday, I had the greatest surface that anyone could ever put on a donut. And I'm a chocoholic. And guess what? It ain't chocolate. It was maple. Who would think to put maple on top of a donut? My mouth is watering already. Oh, my God. This was the greatest surface glaze I've ever had on a donut. And the woman who's mastered the surface of a donut, I'll tell you where you can get it a little bit later in the show. Mm, Could I use one of them right now? Mm -mm -mm. But Lee Trevino... Jack Nicholas was the Tiger Woods. He's won more majors than Tiger Woods. The greatest golfer, greater than Ben Hogan, greater than, who else can I name? Who's the guy from Texas who used to wear the hat? Sam Snead, that was it. Jack Nicholas is the man, but Lee Trevino routinely could beat him. At the height of his game, listen to the story of what it takes to master the surface. But before we get started, remember when Jeffrey Daniels said, it's an illusion. Because Michael Jackson made you think he was walking forward, but he was walking backward, the moonwalk. Well, listen to Lee Trevino talk about the golf club. So let me just teach you a little bit for those of you who don't know golf. The shaft of the golf club where you put your hands, the handle, the grip. But the other end of the golf club, particularly when we're talking about irons or wedges, the part of the club that touches the grass is called the bounce. And depending on the angle, that's, that's what gives you the ability to hit the ball straight up or hit it really far. You either have a wedge to pop the ball up, or you have a a lower iron, a number two or number three, to hit it down the fairway. But the angle that the blade of the golf club makes with the shaft, that's called the bounce. To be great in anything in life, I always see the geniuses 
do the opposite of what you would think. Walking backwards when you think you're walking forwards is a moonwalk. Listen to Lee Trevino. Teach us that you have to do the opposite of what you think to hit the ball the way he wants you to hit it. Let's go to Lee Trevino, number one. The subconscious mind is the strongest thing in your body. And it'll get you to do things that you actually don't want to do, but once you start thinking about it. So what happens when you pull a wedge out? What happens when you pull a 56-degree wedge out and you've got to go over a bunker? You're going, to have, you're going to help the ball up. You're always going to flip to help the ball up. And then all of a sudden you blade it or, or, or you hit behind it. Why? Because the bounce of the club now, if that sand wedge had 12 degrees of loft of the bounce on it, and all of a sudden you release it, now you're, you're increasing it by 6 degrees. Now you've got 17, 18 degrees of bounce. You're never going to get under the golf ball. Number two. In other words, the only way that you can get under a golf ball is you have to hit down on a golf ball. You never hit up on a ball, you hit down on it. You compress it into the ground. In other words, and it's almost that the left wrist is almost broken here. When you hit it, it's this way. And the, the wedge comes compressed down into the ground. Now you utilize, what happens when you compress a golf ball in the ground? It goes up the club face. When you flip a wedge or any club here, the ball is only going to utilize the bottom two grooves. It's never going to use the top ones. And how did Lee Trevino discover to think the opposite? You want the ball to pop up, you got to hit down on it. Your brain doesn't want to do that. He realized this, that you got to do the opposite. How did he learn this? Number three. So I, I, I learned a long time ago, but that again, that was from playing on hard pan. At Tennyson Park, I mean, this you could have put card pads. There's no card pads on that course because you don't need them because the ground was that hard. Everything was a card path there. The ground is just that old black clay. If you've ever been to Texas, you can't get it off your shoes. And once it gets hard and baked out, I mean, you've got to punch everything. And that's where I learned to punch this little wedge. He learned it as a child, quitting school in the eighth grade, desperate to become a golfer, never in his wildest dreams thinking he'd become one of the greatest golfers of all time. He just was a hustler, trying to make some money, beating guys who thought they could beat him. He's the greatest. Here's number four. Now. I never used to put as much spin on it. You know why? Because the, the club would bounce right off the ground. Then when I came on tour and got soft fairways, you understand, and I tried that shot, I mean, that ball would squeeze right up that blade. He would hit twice and check. Mm. This is a young kid living in a shack. We're going to get into his history in a second. But let's listen to him later in life reflecting on his life. Number seven. I never wanted to play golf for a living. I, I, I took the game up at 19 in the Marine Corps. I was four years in the Marine Corps. And I got out when I was 21 years old. I was, went in when I was 17. And I went to work. I didn't even pursue golf. I went to work at a construction crew building a golf course. And in the afternoons, we were playing on the other nine. We were building a new nine, and they had another nine there already. And in the afternoon, all the workmen were getting together, and we were playing for 10 cents and a quarter and a dollar. And I've beaten these guys up pretty good. Oh, he's beating them, all right. He's the ultimate hustler, number eight. So it drove me, in other words, to practice more here and more there because I was I, the dollars were starting to add up in the 50-cent pieces and whatever. And the next thing you knew, I've, I got to the point to where I was beating guys that were winning tournaments. And then mm. I, was, I was beating all the, the big boys around Dallas at Tennyson Park and stuff.
and number nine. And then I entered my first golf tournament, at, uh, which was the Texas State Open. That was the first tournament I'd ever played in, amateur or professional. And I won it in the playoff. I won that year, and then I ended up winning the New Mexico Open that year. 65 it was. And then in 66, I repeated, won both of them. And then I qualified for the Open in 66, played at Olympic Fields. And that drove me to practicing even harder. And then I won, I finished fifth in 67, and then I won in 68. And that's the end of that story. Listen to the story of Lee Trevino, a man who mastered the surface in sports better than anybody else. How did it all begin? This is Sam Blair, his biographer. Let's go to number 10. I've never known anybody else in any walk of life to follow a similar path to go from abject poverty to rise to, to the paths like Lee Trevino did. Before he was a U.S. Open champion, before he was one of the greatest and most popular golfers of his time, before he was anyone that anyone ever heard of, Lee Buck Trevino was the grandson of a Mexican gravedigger in Texas, a boy who never met his father, a child who couldn't have dreamed of the life in front of him, even if he tried. It was his grandpa who taught him the ethics of hard work. Number 11. Lee's granddaddy was a gravedigger at Hillcrest Cemetery, which is uh, located in uh, North Dallas. Then they pay him uh, $40 a week, plus he got free housing. Uh, housing, it was an old dirt floor shack, no electricity, no running water. On Saturday night, they took the biggest uh, wash tub they had, and his mother and granddaddy filled it with water out of a creek nearby, and Lee and his sisters jumped in for their uh, weekly Saturday night bath. I don't care if you're digging graves or you're working a lumber yard like I saw growing up. Whatever you do for a living, take pride in what you do. And Lee's grandfather took pride in making those graves perfect to fit the coffin. Number 12. During the week, his grandfather took Lee along with him to work, where his lessons were simple but essential. He took a lot of pride in, in digging a grave, and he would show Lee, you know, this is how you keep the edges square, and this is how you do it so that, you know, the casket will fit correctly. On one side of the ramshackle Trevino home was the cemetery. On the other was the sixth fairway of the Dallas Athletic Club, which meant golf balls would land on the lawn often, balls that the young Trevino discovered he could collect and sell. That was the beginning, number 13. They had a little three-hole course behind the Caddyshack over there, and they'd get out there and play, and he, he was doing well there and enjoying it. After eighth grade, he, he decided to just drop out and get a job and make what he could and, and keep playing golf. So he'd spend his teen years not in high school, but on the golf course caddying, teaching himself the game. Then on December 1st, 1956, his 17th birthday, he joined the Marines. And that's when he really took off. He started playing golf in the Marines, but still never realizing how talented he was. The lessons he learned from mastering that surface in Texas. But listen to the variety of crazy golf clubs he had. He didn't even have a, the right set. Number 14. I was dead broke. I actually was unemployed. 
at the time, so I was just playing a lot of golf. And someone said, uh, you know, U.S. Open's coming up, thinking about qualifying for it. Tried it, had to go to Odessa and uh, qualified. He's like a fish out of water. I mean, the, the course is like nothing he's ever seen before. You have to understand that I learned to play with no rough, no bunkers. Oh God, I didn't, I don't think I had 14 clubs. I didn't have a sandwich because I never been in a bunker. <laughs> I had a McGregor 11 iron, that's what I had. And that baby was sharp enough to, to I mean, to cut a steak. <laughs> he sharpened it himself. But listen to this, it'll give you goosebumps. It's 1968, it's the US Open. Jack Nicholas is in the lead, but who comes up to beat Jack Nicholas? Lee Trevino. You listen to his background and how he taught himself the game. He mastered the surface so well that he could beat the greatest golfer of all time in his prime. Number 15. As Yannissi fell back to earth, Trevino grabbed the lead. And even with Nicholas charging, refused to falter. He hit the flagstick. He could not say he's lacking in boldness. And what a shot. It's the late USGA official Joe Dye trailed Trevino on the course. And as he watched one remarkable shot after another, Dye was unable to contain his amazement. He said, what are you trying to do, win the Open? I said, whether you like it or not, I said, you're going to have a Mexican as a U.S. Open champion. <laughs> I remember it like yesterday. That's exactly what I told him. Good for Lee Trevino. Good for all of us. That's the key. That's why Brett Simpson is taking the USA surfing team to Texas. There's no ocean. He's taking them to Texas because there's an artificial wave pool that he can dial up and mimic those waves in Japan to master the surface of that ocean is different than Florida, different than Hawaii, different from the waves in California. You got to master the surface like Michael Jackson did it with a moonwalk, like Lee Trevino did it in golf, like Larry Dorr did in orthopedic surgery. That's the key. Damn Coming up right. next, I'll take you into the operating room. The clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And where can you get the best maple donut I've ever had? I'll tell you. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. When I see the food, I eat it. Bada-boom. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm on a light diet. I only eat when it's light out. Bada-boom. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Mastering the surface. Mastering the river. And a song about the river. The great Bruce Springsteen. I want to talk to you a little bit about one of the surgeries I did this week, a hip surgery. This poor woman limping around, couldn't walk. As the, the arthritis, this disease invaded her body. 
in case you're wondering, how do we look at an x-ray and tell you that you've lost your cartilage, that you have arthritis? How on the x-ray do you make that diagnosis? Well, there's four things that we look for on the x-ray. Remember, bone has calcium. It has the mineral in its structure. So when you take an x-ray, you can see your bone. But cartilage, treat yourself. Have some fried chicken today. Dislocate the joint. Look at that white stuff on the end of the bone. That's cartilage. And then there's a cushion. In addition to the cartilage, that white stuff that coats the end of the bone, and that's a different kind of cartilage, a rubbery cartilage, like your ear and your nose, a fibrocartilage. It's different than the cartilage that coats the end of the bone called hyaline cartilage or articular cartilage. And that rubber cushion is designed to help be a shock absorber for the two bones colliding in your knee, your hip, your shoulder. They may be different cartilages, but they do have one thing in common. They don't have calcium like your bone does. There is no mineral. And actually, if there is mineral in the meniscus or in the articular cartilage, we call that pseudo, because it's fake, pseudo gout. So if your doctor has told you you have pseudo gout, it's because on the x-ray you can see calcifications where there's not supposed to be calcifications. But for the rest of us, the cartilage on the end of the bone, the cartilage, the, sh the shock absorber cartilage, the meniscus or the labrum, it's called. The meniscus in the shoulder, the meniscus in your hip is called the labrum. That doesn't have calcium. So if you come to my office and you say your knee hurts, your hip hurts, your shoulder hurts, and I take an x-ray and I see a beautiful, smooth space between the bones, then I can infer that you have a healthy amount of cartilage, both the articular cartilage and the meniscus or the labrum between the joints, because you have a wide space between the bones. So I told you there's four things you look for on the x-ray to make the diagnosis of arthritis. And we're gonna get to the reason I wanna tell you this story because of the woman that I did surgery on this week who had a gigantic cyst, not a cancerous cyst, but a cyst. And I'll give you a clapper vision as it relates to my dad dealing with kitchen floors, but that'll be in a second. So the first of the four things you look at on an x-ray to diagnose arthritis is that the space between the bones, which should be wide, is now thinning out. The two bones look like they're starting to get closer and even touch each other and even bang into each other and deform the bone in advanced cases. So the joint space narrows because the cartilage is wearing thin, like the brake pad in your car is wearing thin. That's the first thing we look for in an x-ray, that the joint space narrows. Because you've lost the cushion of the meniscus or the labrum, and now you have thinner cartilage on the end of the bone causing that joint space narrowing, guess what happens? We take a million steps a year as a human being. That's right, a million. 
And every step you take, because of the cushion of the cartilage, the bone is kind of protected from that impact. But if you remove the cushion, the meniscus doesn't work very well, the labrum doesn't work very well, and the cartilage is thinning, then every step you take, you are banging the energy of impact of walking, running, playing basketball, you're banging those two bones together without an adequate cushion, the bone starts to change color on the x-ray because too much load is rattling the bone. It doesn't have the buffer of the cartilage anymore. And what does that do to the bone? The body's reaction to all that stress is to actually increase the mineral. The density of the bone actually increases abnormally. The bone actually becomes stiffer, more brittle as you lose the cartilage. And we'll see that on the x-ray. We'll see the bone getting wider on the x-ray. Not W-I-D-E-R, wider, but wider, W-H-I-T-E-R, the color white. And we have a fancy word for that. It's called sclerosis. So here's two of the four things you see on the x-ray. You see the joint space narrowing and you see sclerosis, the density of the bone near the joint increasing. Here's the third thing you look for, which is what brings me to this discussion. Imagine going, here's a clapper vision, going into your kitchen and you have a beautiful linoleum floor in your kitchen. Uh-oh, you spilled some water from a glass you were carrying on the, on the linoleum. Well, it stays as a little puddle. You take some paper towels or a towel, and you can mop up the puddle of water that you spilled on your linoleum because the linoleum is waterproof. But what if the linoleum had a crack in it? That it was not waterproof anymore because it had a violation to the surface you talk about mastering the surface today, you actually have a crack in the linoleum. Well, when you spill water and it pools up on top, the water can now get through the linoleum and damage the wooden plywood and floorboards under the linoleum and rot the wood. Well, guess what happens when you crack and wear out the cartilage in your joint? It becomes arthritic. There are violations and cracks in the cartilage and the motor oil that lubricates the joint called synovial fluid, which is why our joints are miraculous, that they move with less friction than two ice cubes rubbing together. Can you imagine? They're building spaceships into jet propulsion labs in Pasadena. They still cannot make a joint with less friction than the very joint God blessed you with your knee, your hip, your shoulder, or your fingers. Our joints move with less friction then they can design at NASA. That's the miracle of your body. But if you crack or violate, thin out the cartilage in your knee, your hip, your shoulder, and it's a violation in the surface, like a crack in the linoleum, the motor oil, the synovial fluid that lubricates the joint now can go where it's not supposed to go, through the cartilage, because there's a crack in it, and into the bone. And under the high pressure of moving your joints, that synovial fluid 
literally is like it's injected through the cartilage into the bone and collects there as, here's the fancy word, subchondral cyst. Sub, like a subway, means below. Chondral in Latin means cartilage. And cyst is a fluid collection. It's not cancer, it's not anything to worry about. It's a degenerative process of the joints wearing out. Sometimes those cysts are small, no big deal. But sometimes, like the woman this week that I did surgery on, the cyst was as big as the ball of the ball and socket joint itself. And it got so big and weakened her bone so much, guess what happened? She cracked and fractured the bone. She didn't just have worn out cartilage causing her pain. She came to me in a wheelchair because she couldn't walk because her arthritis essentially led to her having a fractured hip. Subchondral collapse due to this cyst. Can you imagine going to see her after surgery the next day with her in tears telling me, I haven't walked without a walker or crutches, Dr. Clapper, in five years. You want to know, you want to know why it's so rewarding to be an orthopedic surgeon? Because I get to hear that from people every day. It's a real privilege and a blessing to be able to be a surgeon, to be an orthopedic surgeon. My mom was right. Robbie, first you should be a doctor. Then you can do whatever you want. So I became a carpenter like my father in the body. <laughs> I'll explain what the fourth thing is a little bit later or another time. We'll take a break. We'll pay some bills. Coming up next, I may go to the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN, or I might just talk about food. We'll see. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Get the coconut telephone. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm the Kobe Bryant of teeth brushing. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Let's go surfing now, everybody's learning how. Come on a safari with me. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. We'll be talking at 8.15 to the coach of the USA surfing team. Going to the Olympics in Japan next summer, Brett Simpson. Can't wait. I'll tell some more stories, but I shouldn't. The, the lines are all lit up, so let's go to the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Let's go to Anthony. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Dr. Clapper. Gustanga. Uh, it's all good. How are you, Anthony? I'm doing good. Uh, I just I just want to ask about for my daughter. Do you uh, listen has, every Saturday, Anthony? Every Saturday, every Saturday I came from work and I listened to this one to the drive time, you know, going back. Uh, what's, yeah. Anthony, what's your favorite story that I've told? Uh, the bagel story, <laughs> the story, everything, man. <laughs> hey Anthony, what did your father do for a living? Oh man, my father is. Um, we we came from the Philippines, so he he works in the government over there. Hmm. Nice. Well, maganda umaga to you. Oh, same to you, Doctor Clapper. 
Umi ihi bang pasiente mo. I tweeted that one. I tweeted that one. <laughs> How can I help you, young man? What's up? Uh, you know, my daughter, she plays soccer and she, she had like a fracture. I just want to know like what's the what's the healing time for this one? And it's called the left H1 distal tibia fracture. Mm-hmm. So here's the interesting thing. How old is your daughter? She's 11. So what that means that she's 11, Anthony, is she is still growing. The fancy word we will use is she is skeletally immature. So you, Anthony, can break your leg. You put it in a cast. You put it in a brace. God forbid you have to do surgery. You're dealing with bones. You're dealing with pipes that are fully adult, fully mature. But that's not the case for your 11-year-old daughter. The tibia, the shin bone, above it is the knee joint. Below it is the ankle joint. And right before you get to the knee joint in your daughter, and right before you get to the ankle joint in your daughter, is a horizontal line called the growth plate. So even though it's appropriate to treat her with a brace, right? She didn't have surgery, correct? No, they, they put her on the cast for four weeks. Correct. So here's the deal. The fracture itself inspires healing because of bleeding and increased blood flow to take the, the two broken bones and make them into one again, right? In order for that to happen, our bodies sense the fracture and increase the blood supply to heal it. But guess what also happens, Anthony? It increases the blood supply to those growth plates near the ankle and near the knee. And you gotta be careful because you actually could upset either too much growth with too much blood supply or too little blood supply and therefore little growth and she could end up with one leg longer or shorter than the other. Uh -oh. So that's why, Anthony, I need to make sure she's being followed by someone who takes care of kids, a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. Is that who she's going to? Um, it's just general orthopedic. Okay, wrong. <laughs> I need her to be seen. Where do you live, Anthony? We're in Moreno Valley. Good. Figure out how you can go make a visit for an opinion to okay. Children's Hospital. You'll sure. meet doctors there who do nothing but kids. You don't have to upset the doctors taking care of you now. You can go mm -hmm. back to them. But you'll make me feel better if you get a second opinion from someone at Children's Hospital. One of my favorite doctors at Children's Hospital is Robert K. Love this guy. He comes to Cedars often as well. Robert K. On Monday, give his office a call. Tell him you heard about him from Dr. Clapper and you're his cousin. You're my Filipino cousin. The They'll you go, you know, Dr. Clapper has a lot of cousins. But tell him you're my cousin, a weekend warrior. Get an opinion so that you know you're on the right track with someone who does pediatrics. If they agree, 
then you can go back to the guy or woman who's taking care of you now. But that's something that I'd love you to do. Okay, Anthony? Okay. Thank you, Dr. Clapper. You're very welcome. Salamad. And do me a favor, Anthony. You're a total stranger to me. Today, I want you to find a total stranger. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Okay. All right. God bless you. And I hope your daughter uses this event to not only play soccer, but to go to school and become an orthopedic surgeon someday. Yeah. All right. You tell her that. All right, Warriors, coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories about mastering the surface in art, in sports, in surgery, because our USA coach of the U.S. surfing team, Brett Simpson, is doing just that with our surfers, taking them to Texas to master the surface, believe it or not, of the waves in Japan for the Olympics next summer. We'll get into it a little more. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN.